Welcome aboard the BK Escape Pod. That's right, it's the augmented and bionic podcast version of the live show you can hear Saturdays from 10 a.m. till 12 p.m. Eastern on 100.3 FM and AM 1450 WBHF Radio. You can stream the show live there Saturdays at WBHFradio.org or on the free TuneIn app. Look out, here we go. Stand by for launch. about movies and comic books, heroes and crazy news. I tune into PK on the air from 10 to noon, Saturdays. Well, hello, it's your fun shelter-in-place escape. It's me, BK on the air here on AM 1450 and 100.3 FM WBHF. I like to dispense uh, nostalgic geekiness talk radio for two hours every Saturday to help you get away with what you might be wanting to escape from. On the other end, there at the uh, Mission Control is Alan Sanders is with me here. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, sir. Apologies about the little bit of a delay. I was dealing with a phone call. A little bit of an emergency. Pets sometimes eat things they're not supposed to. So we're uh, we're inducing some issues right now to try to keep an eye on them, and I'm trying to keep my phone clear just in case. Did you use the word inducing as a double meaning, maybe? Yes. <laughs> Yes, they do. I had that trouble with uh, with our little four legged fur baby here at home. She uh, she's let's see, what is she eating before? She's eating a sock. Uh, she's eating a lizard and something else once that she uh, that we had to induce that she uh, had to expel back out, and we didn't know what that was. The third thing. So you're right. I know exactly where you're coming from. But you know what? It's part of uh, they're a different kind of kid, right? Well, they're very much like children. They they can get into things they're not supposed to. They eat things that you're not supposed to eat. I mean, I've had my dog. One of them is such an idiot, hasn't learned this lesson, eats a full meal, goes outside and goes, you know, these really long blades of grass look good, tickles his throat, makes him throw up his entire meal. I'm like, what, did you, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? You have a bulimic dog. He's like, oh. He doesn't want to gain weight. You know, he's going he's gonna to throw it right back up again that way so he can keep that trim it's all, figure. It's great. It's great. I got a bulimic dog. Hey, maybe that'll work. Maybe I should try that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, don't do the beans uh, first. That's bad for you. <laughs> That's right. Alan and I, I don't know if Alan will, but I will. I've got a TV show suggestion for you today on your COVID-19 lockdown. I think we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, though. This is not going to last much longer. And I want you to think about this, Alan, too. Someone put up on Facebook this week something about John Carpenter, and it made me look at it and go, wow, which which what would I do in this situation? He posted, and I'll let you think about this. I'll tell you what it is. Now, it's safe to say that you and I are John Carpenter fans. Am I right? Um, that may be an understatement. So, yeah, we'll go with it. <laughs> I mean, he's got maybe two films out of his whole repertoire that I don't like, and I like almost every other film that he's that he's directed other than the couple that I don't like. But the nine that he put up on his Facebook page, he listed nine. Here are the nine. And I think I've, I've seen every one of these. The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, Halloween, 
Escape from New York, The Fog, They Live, In the Mouth of Madness, Assault on Precinct 13, and Starman. There are nine films, not all of the films he directed, but there are nine. He says you can keep only three of these and throw the rest out. I don't mean you hate the rest, but you can keep only three of those films out of those nine. Now, I've got my three because I had a a while to think about it. So later on in the program today, I'll come back to you, Alan, and see which three you can keep. Unless you know right off the bat right now which ones you would keep. Do that again. So had you set it up and told me that of these I'm about to read to you, only three. So you got to go back through. I I know some I can automatically eliminate, but give me the list one more time. Right. Here are the nine films from director John Carpenter. The Thing... Big Trouble in Little China, Halloween, Escape from New York, The Fog, They Live, In the Mouth of Madness, Assault on Precinct 13, and Starman. Out of those nine, you can only keep three of them. And I've got my three. I've got my three. I think we might match up on one or two maybe, but I'm not sure. Maybe. It depends because um, in, in terms, cause I look at it this way. Because if you're giving me just three movies and that's it and it's and I have to yeah. think about the rewatchability, the entertainment aspect, not that they're yeah. bad movies that, I'm, that I would eliminate or not that I don't appreciate the significance. Right. But there's three that – and they're the three I tend to always go to anyway in that list of movies. Yeah, you ready? I'll pick. I'll pick my first one, or g- give me your first one. Which was the first one the, you'd like? I would keep? think this is pretty easy. You know my love of huskies, and we traced it back to my introduction to <laughs> the thing, and that is still one of my all-time favorite. It, we watched it with our girls not that long ago. The visual effects, because they're all practical, hold right. up the storyline, the tension. Great movie, the thing. We match with that one. I'll pick the thing. My second pick out of the nine would be Escape from New York. Has to be a pick. You know, I want to do a Kurt Russell pick. If I have to wade between the two after the thing, it's going to be Big Trouble in Little China. Right. And again, there's no wrong answers here. That's a good pick, too, because that one was hard. Some of these, this was a hard thing to do. You know, some of these lists, I scream and go, that's impossible. <laughs> I can't do that. But this is this is one I was able to do, and it took a while. Okay, so Escape from New York. We both got a Kurt Russell pick on number two. You're, you're Big Trouble I've got, in Little China. I've got Kurt Russell in two of them as well. <laughs> Because I like you're, the you're thing. in Little China and I'm in New York on right. that one. <laughs> okay. And my and last third, one of pick? them, because it's such a good movie and I love it because John Carpenter did it kind of after uh, they they kind of mocked him with the thing and after E.T. came out, he goes, okay, you know what? I can show you how to right. make a good movie that has to do with outer space, but it's not going to be for kids. I like Starman. Starman is a good movie. It was very, it was a surprising movie to find out that he did that one when I saw it. I'm like, this is a John Carpenter movie. He did exactly what he set out to do with that film. Uh, my third film out of the list is The Fog, because to me, The Fog, I could have easily picked Halloween, because that's a classic horror film, which a lot of other movies are compared to uh, coming out as one of the first ones of its, of its kind. And I could have picked Starman. I could have picked They Live for the third one, because I love They Live, too. It's a very comical weird look at, at, at society and, and, and aliens and stuff like that with the sun, with the glasses and everything and the hidden, the hidden messages. But the fog for some reason is one of those films where I can still watch it to this day. And it's still kind of like the shining gives me a little, I don't know. It makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It's just creepy. Anything about revenge for ghosts. If I had to do a runner up, the fog would definitely be it because I remember seeing that when I was younger and maybe that cause I saw it when I was young made that it, it was such a, a it made a formative impression on me the the ghost telling element with the the unseen the fog the creepiness uh, the music yeah. the setting 
It was so um, – I had never seen anything like that. I've never seen a movie. It's great to have a stalker or a serial killer, someone who's chasing you. Those movies have been around. Some do it better than others. But this fog creeping, I had never seen anything like it, and I think it is such a great film. It, is, it would easily fall as my, as my number four pick if I was allowed four. And where else can you see Adrian Barbeau, who's a disc jockey with a radio station in a lighthouse – have to chase, have to run up to the top of the lighthouse to try to get away from the ghost. What a what a chilling, weird, dead-end scene that is. I mean, it's a dead-end. Where do you go from there? It's, it's horrifying. I know, I know. It's like, why, why are you running up there? Because sometimes you're not thinking. Well, I didn't want to, I wanted to do that before I forgot because I, I, I said, well, somebody sent that on Facebook. Uh, we're lovers of films. We're lovers of John Carpenter. And, um, it was a, it's a great list, so I'm, I think we both picked three great ones, and they're all good. It's BK on the Air. We're going to hear from the golden rage of TV after this break, and when we come back, we'll have more nostalgic geekiness. It's BK on the Air. This portion of the show is being brought to you by The Best Things in Life, which are still free with minimum purchase at participating dealers. I'd like to talk to you about good things to eat, like Swiss cheese on a crisp Ritz cracker. Or a chunk of ham on a crisp Ritz cracker. Mmm. Peanut butter and jelly on a crisp Ritz cracker. Everything tastes great when it sits on a Ritz. You hungry? Then have some onion dip on a crisp Ritz cracker. Mmm. 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 Good cracker. Good cracker. From Nabisco. Good cracker. Good, good cracker. You better pray to the God of skinny punks that this wind doesn't pick up, because I'll come over there and jam an oar up there. It's okay if you don't understand what he's talking about. He probably doesn't either. It's BK on the Air on AM 1450 FM 100.3 and online using the TuneIn Radio app. Alright, Golden Rage of TV with Pat McCormick. Greetings, fellow classic TV fans. One of my favorite Star Trek episodes was during its first season, entitled The Enemy Within. It included a few firsts for the popular series. For example, the Leonard Nimoy invented Vulcan Nerve Pinch, Dr. McCoy's first use of the catchphrase, He's dead, Jim, and the physical replication of Captain Kirk, which happened again in two later episodes. Drawing inspiration from the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the episode was written by the legendary Richard Matheson. He was a member of the Southern California Sorcerers, which included other prestigious writers such as Charles Beaumont and Ray Bradbury. Matheson's vast array of novels, screenplays, and short stories in the fantasy, science fiction, and horror genres have influenced many storytellers, including Stephen King and Anne Rice. Directors George Romero, Roger Corman, and Steven Spielberg all regarded him as an influence. Just some of his notable films included The Omega Man, The Incredible Shrinking Man, The Trilogy of Terror, The Pit and the Pendulum, Somewhere in Time, and one of my personal favorites, The Legend of Hell House. 
classic TV movies like Steven Spielberg's 1971 directorial debut, Duel, and 1972's The Night Stalker also came from the mind of Matheson. Of his 16 total classic Twilight Zone scripts, two popular ones come to mind here, specifically Nick of Time and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, both starring William Shatner. With prestigious awards ranging from his induction to the Science Fiction Hall of Fame to the Bram Stoker and World Fantasy Lifetime Achievement Awards, it's safe to say that Richard Matheson's legacy had indeed boldly gone where no writer had gone before. This is Pat McCormick with your retro TV trivia from the Golden Rage of TV. You can also find me on YouTube and Facebook at Golden Rage of TV and on Twitter at Golden Rage of TV One. And now back to BK on the Air. You know, there's not more many popular episodes than Nightmare on 20, at 20,000 feet of The Twilight Zone with William Shatner, so much so that they took it and remade it into one of the stories that they did on The Twilight Zone, the movie, which came out in 1983. And that segment of the film in The Twilight Zone movie was directed by Mad Max director George Miller. And it was with John Lithgow. And it was fantastic, Alan. You remember that one? Yeah, I do. And actually, while we're at it, we've got somebody who wants to weigh in, perhaps. They're on the line right now. Good morning. Welcome to BK on the Air. Who's this? Hi, this is Brown again. Hey, how you doing, BK? Hey, good, buddy. How you doing? Outstanding. Oh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the episode where they go back, you know, the fortune teller machine, isn't that what they based the movie with Tom Hanks big off of? Well, I don't, I don't you know, know what they based it on You know where they had the Zoltar machine? Yeah, it was okay. it was a similar story, yeah, but I don't know if they based it. Uh, did they actually did they actually officials officially say that they based it on that, or do you know? Negative. It was just it's just a presumption of my own. Well, uh, I, I don't know. I, but... I don't know if they I don't know if they based it on it because it's more of a more of a, a machine. I know that Tom Hanks asked to be asked to be big and to be turned into an adult, right. but the uh, the one with William Shatner, if you've seen it called Nick of Time. He's this little mm-hmm. uh, machine is in a restaurant on a table and it's warning him of a very doom and gloom catas- catastrophic events for him not to do this. You know, don't cross the street or you'll get run. You might get killed. They don't do this. And then they go outside and they, and they wait and don't go outside in one scene. And I think a car rushes by and mm-hmm. had they gone out earlier, it would have hit them. So it was more, but he, he becomes more obsessed with it. And it's certainly more depressing and, and more brooding than the Tom Hanks movie. But I guess well, it could well, be a thinly veiled story. Similarity. Well, yeah. well, well I guess, I, I guess it kind of falls back to the, uh, the, uh, it's not as much, uh, regret what you wish for, or, you know, things of that nature, but, the way things prophesize, you know, the way you don't want it to be, right. <laughs> the way it might end up not the way you want it. And I guess that was the way I looked at it. Right, and there's another way to look at it because there was a, a movie called Tales from the Crypt that came out years ago back back in the 70s, mm-hmm. the older movie called Tales from the Crypt, and they had a story yep. adaptation the called the monkey's, the monkey's Paw where you would get a you would get away, you get three wishes from something, and every time you wish for something, something horrible happened no matter what you wished for. So that, that whole type of story has kind of been right. around for years, and it's very effective in entertainment and storytelling. It's been used a lot. Absolutely. Hey, guys. Well, it's always good, good to hear from you. I appreciate you calling. Hey, no problem. Hey, y'all have a great day and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. All Take right. care. Hey, I will. <laughs> I know Alan will too. Thanks a lot. Hey, how many times the iconic episode of the Twilight Zone? I mean, it was one. How many times? I know that when we took the flight to Los Angeles back in 2017 to go out to Hollywood, I uh, I posed. I said, I said, honey, you've got to take a picture of me by the window looking out of the wing on the jet to point out there going, I think I saw something, but I'm not sure what it was. Every, every, that's been, you know, that's a, that's a, something that's ingrained in people's mind and always has been. There's something on the wing, like Jim Carrey would do. 
That's right. Yeah, he did a great Shatner impression in The Cable Guy. Remember that? I, the thing about Jim Carrey is he he was purposely doing not only the impression but like the caricature of the person rather than the actual. Like you had the Rich Littles when you and I were growing up that were just like spot on. Jim Carrey takes it to like the hysterical, like the caricature, uh, like the the artist you see drawing the the funny caricatures on the boardwalk. I mean, his version uh, when even in um, a Pet Detective, the first one when he's looking for uh, for the for the. Uh, the uh, evidence of the who stole the flipper, the uh, or whatever the name of the uh, the dolphin was, and he was just doing the the Shatner thing. It was just so funny. Right. I want to remind everybody seven seven zero three eight six fourteen fifty. If you want to call in, just like uh, Eric did. Mother's Day is actually tomorrow, Sunday. Today, Saturday. But uh, I want to give out this shout out to all the moms. My plans for Mother's Day tomorrow. I'm actually going to surprise mom. Now I know she's not listening, so I can say this on the air. And Alan and I know the moment we say that, that's when the person's listening to the show. But I think my sister distracted her enough to keep her from listening. I'm going to show up tomorrow and just surprise her. And I'm going to practice social distancing from mom. I'm going to we're going to hang out on her front porch tomorrow in, in across, you know, just on each side of the porch, six feet away and we're in, in her rocking chairs. And I'm just going to hang out, take her something and uh, spend some time with my mom because I haven't seen her. And it wasn't when this uh, COVID-19 quarantine started i haven't seen my mom probably two or three weeks before that even started i just hadn't had a chance to get over there so this is going to be a surprise for her tomorrow and happy mother's day to all the moms out there i know alan alan's mom's probably listening to this show because she she kind of likes this show that's kind of cool that she's listening right yeah she's listening actually was listening uh or at least i know for a fact she was listening in the last hour of waking up with alan because i got a message that said hey if you gave me a shout out uh i wasn't listening until just now so (laughs) hopefully she still is well, uh, happy happy Mother's Day or happy Mother's Day weekend uh, to Alan's mom as well, and thank her for listening. And I was thinking, who who was my if I had to pick my favorite TV show mom or pop culture mom? I was thinking about it because there's so many of them out there. You know, you got uh, you got Carol Brady on the Brady Bunch, you got Mrs. Cleaver on Leave It to Beaver, you've got you got Florida Evans on Good Times, you got uh, Mrs. Walton on the Waltons, you've got all these moms, these wonderful moms on television. Now, the one I picked. Isn't necessarily my favorite TV show of all time, but she's just she was the mom to me that was just always so nurturing and loving and, and funny on television growing up when I was watching TV. And the one that I just thought, wow, wouldn't it be great? Nothing wrong with my mom and Alan. There's nothing wrong with yours, I'm sure you know. But if how cool would it be if we had to? Oh, pick I don't another know. There mom? might be a few things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, we can't bring them up on Mother's Day. Wait till Monday <laughs> to bring that up. But uh, for me, it's. It's uh, it's Marianne Cunningham. Oh my God! Uh, I was gonna say Mrs. C. Mrs. C. She's my favorite TV mom of all time. She really is. Okay, so Mrs. C was my first, but I always uh, and and I'm not making anything about the off-camera stuff. But Mrs. Huxtable in the Cosby Show, I was like, that's a cool mom. Another good too. one, yeah. Another great mom. And my favorite movie mom to me, the way she protects, has to be the Alien Queen from Aliens. <laughs> I mean, she's a great mom if you think about it, right? I just want you to get away from her. That's right. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to flash the audience the news of the weird, the strange, and bizarre. When we come back, it's...
like a midget at a urinal, I was going to have to stay on my toes. BK on the air here. That's who you got on this end. Uh, I'm glad that you're out there on that end. I want to remind everybody that once this COVID-19 lockdown is all over, Flashback Cinema plans to show all eight Harry Potter films once this is over. You can visit flashbackcinema.net or like them on Facebook for uh, updates and whatnot on that. So that's going to be kind of cool. Not just a selected few Harry Potter films, but they're going to bring all eight out on on um, spread out over a few dates. And you can see them in the theater again. That's another film series, Alan. I know there's several that we like that I would that I would welcome seeing in the in the theater again. There's not many, but uh, there there's a few. I can honestly say the first two Harry Potter movies because I really didn't know a lot about them. Uh, I did not see in the theater, but I saw every other one in the theater, including one night we thought it'd be fun to bring the kids out to a midnight showing. Yeah, it was a mistake. We ended up being in a theater so <laughs> full we were in the front row. I don't understand why theaters are allowed to have seats that close. I remember I had a kink in my neck. I didn't like the movie as a result, and I didn't even want to go back and rewatch it on, on DVD when it came out because I thought, this was terrible. No, apparently it was my movie-watching experience was terrible. Right. It was Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which is the sixth movie. And, well, technically, there's seven books, but they made the seventh book into two films, part one and part two. So uh, it was the sixth movie, and it's one of my, not my favorite favorite, but it is a really, really good one. And uh, I just it was just such a bad movie experience. Yeah, I got shoved into the uh, first time I saw Aliens. We were talking about uh, the Alien Queen being a great mom earlier. Uh, when Aliens came out in 1986, I was a little running a little late for the uh, the opening night that I was meeting friends for. And they ran out of seats, and I not only had to sit on the front row, Alan, but I had to sit on the, on the side row. On the side? So, yes, on the, on the far right side, on the front, because they had two aisles coming down on each side, but Could they had another row of seats. Could you even see what was happening on the far left side of the screen? <laughs> I could see it, but you know what? Everything was, it looked like, it looked like everything was out of proportion. Everything was stretched up, like, diagonally, and it looked <laughs> so weird, and it looked, I, I hated looking up Ripley's nostrils uh, through the whole scenes at the end where she was attacking the aliens with the flamethrower. It was terrible, it was, and I did go see it a couple of nights later uh, in a better seat. So, yeah. well, it's that time that we reach every time during BK on the Air. It's time that we... Uh... That's right. Flash the audience of the news, the weird, the strange, and the bizarre. And here's the first news. A loud, booming sound reported by multiple witnesses in Washington state was likely a meteor exploding over the area, experts said. The American Meteor, Meteor Society said several reports came out about a bright object streaking across the sky over the Puget Sound area about 7 p.m. on Wednesday, followed by a loud boom that some witnesses said caused their homes to shake. Space.com said the annual ETA Aquid meteor shower, which is caused by Earth's orbit crossing through debris from Halley's Comet, peaked early Wednesday this morning. So this is from Halley's Comet. That's kind of cool. But will continue to cause sightings for a few weeks to come. Now, I, I don't know if it was that or either it was people rushing to restaurants to dine in now that some has reopened. It may have been the sonic boom of peeping, people moving so fast to do that, you know? <laughs> get, get everybody me wants out to of go here. and sit. 
<laughs> That's right. What was that boom? Oh, that was just uh, that was just Dad running to the restaurant to eat uh, in the dining room. <laughs> All right, I've got the next news. An Iowa man who received a postcard from his sister said he was surprised to note that the card had been mailed in 1987. What? Yeah, Paul Willis, a hog farmer in Thornton, said a postcard appeared in his mailbox recently from his sister, Annie Lovell, and he soon noticed the card bore a picture of Lovell on a Grand Canyon hike in 1987 and a San Francisco postmark from December of the same year. Willis said the postcard bore a second postmark from April 29th of this year in Des Moines, so he called the post office to see if they had any explanation for the postcard's tardiness. She said, well, the post offices were all going through deep cleaning because of the COVID-19, he stated that the lady said. The employee said the postcard may have been discovered while furniture and machines were being moved for cleaning. Now, an Illinois woman experienced a similar incident in 2019 when a postcard showed up at her home that had been mailed 26 years earlier. Kim Draper said the card was addressed to the previous residents of her Springfield home and recounted the resident's father's travels in Hong Kong. Now, wouldn't it be our luck if that happened to us and it was an important letter that we had won something or 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 a, or a dead billionaire relative that we never knew we had trying to get in contact with us but couldn't get in contact? We didn't get the letter, so we didn't get the, we didn't get the inheritance. Wouldn't that be our luck if that happened to us? You know what? I always get the prince from Nairobi and stuff. I never get the actual real family member. Prince from Nairobi. <laughs> you haven't responded to that Nairobi Prince email no. uh, message yet about you having that money Not waiting yet, on you? Yeah, but he keeps trying to reach out to me, so I got to give him a, I got him an E for effort. Well, come on, you've got to hurry up and do it where we can get that money and recreate some of those shots from Guardians of the Galaxy two in Cartersville that we want to do. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> it might, it would, hopefully, it wouldn't take that much money, right? I've got the next news. <laughs> from UPI, a studio apartment listed for rent in Australia is drawing attention online for an unusual design feature. Boy, Mrs. BK would hate this. The bathroom and the kitchen are separated by a glass wall. This place has the bathroom, Alan, in the kitchen. Really? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. I knew that'd leave you speechless. The studio apartment located in the Surrey Hills of Sydney places the kitchen and bathroom side by side with the toilet and shower in full view from the cooking area. The glass walls of the bathroom are partially frosted. Well, that's great for privacy, but a barrier located right in front of the toilet is completely transparent. Well, why would I would do it the opposite way. Why would you do it that way? Emma... Matizuo of Exclusive Real Estate, which is listing the residents, told listing website Domain the glass walls of the bathroom are designed to, quote, give the illusion of more space, unquote. She said there's <laughs> been some interest in the studio, which is listed for $245 a week. <laughs> so I, there's no way. I mean, when 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 uh, Mrs. BK watches HGTV a lot and she notices some of these homes are for sale in Europe and when uh, when they relocate from America to another country. Some of them, she goes, oh, I can't have this house. I would never pick that one because the bathroom is in the hallway. You have to walk basically back by the bathroom, which has no door on it, in, 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 into the hallway, into the main entrance of the place. So I would never take that. So your bathroom should be way back, way back there at the back somewhere. I don't think it should be important. But on the other hand, you know, that could be a, that could be pretty cool. I guess you could fix dinner, eat, and then cut out the time to the porcelain convenience, right? <laughs> Now, I do know my wife lived in one of these little tiny apartments in New York when she first started her career because you know, she grew up in upstate New York, but everybody wants to go to the city. And she said the apartment was so small, you had to step over the toilet to get into the tub. 
Now, the, oh, no. it wasn't in the kitchen, but it was such a small bathroom that you couldn't just walk into the tub without stepping. Like, you had to hurdle the toilet seat to get into the tub. Now, this is a sensitive issue, and I'm going to bring it up and ask you, Alan. You and your significant other, if one of you are in the bathroom, whatever, answering whatever call of nature happens to be calling you, can your significant can your significant other walk in or whatever? Does it matter, or do the, is the door locked? Oh no, we've we've long since lost that level of modesty and privacy, and it's just like, hey, come on in. <laughs> you ever see that Saturday Night Live sketch where they had the his and her toilet, so you could still keep looking at each other's lovingly eyes as you're sitting on the throne? No, not not here at this place. I mean, uh, I, we we are. I'm not a big. I'm not a big. Uh, I don't care one way or the other. But uh, when Mrs. B- BK answers the call, our bathroom is set up. She's set it up to where when you go into the bathroom or when she's in there, there's a special uh, code lock on the inside that only she can access. <laughs> when, she's, when she's answered the call, there's no way you can. Go. In fact, our bathroom upstairs is in our bedroom. And when she's in there, uh, I, I can't even go into the I'm, I need to stay out of the bedroom even. Oh, really? No, no I'll go just, in there and I'll just like I pull up a stool and I just look and I stare. I'm like, you done? <laughs> Some people don't have a problem with it. It's no big deal. I mean, either way you are, that's you fine. You know I what understand. broke me of that is in the Navy there were no stall doors, and when you had to uh, when you had to relieve the morning Constitution, there was a line looking at you saying, "Are you done?" I'm like, "Geez, oh, oh, come on." And that would make it to where it wouldn't take me longer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Talk about stage fright the wrong way. If you're if you're gonna stare at me, you're gonna be waiting longer than that. I think it's that way. Uh, some prison cells, you know, it's just kind of out there in the open. You don't get privacy in prison. So, uh, she said she better never go to prison uh, because she could never use the bathroom. I'm like, honey, you better never go to prison for other reasons than that. You better wish you never go for other reasons than that. I got one more news flash when we come back after the break. It's BK on the air. okay if you don't understand what he's talking about he probably doesn't either it's bk on the air on am 1450 fm 100.3 and online using the tune in radio app remind everybody to board the bk escape pod if you missed the show on saturday you can catch the show on soundcloud on podbean and on anchor uh, that's going to be augmented with bionic parts. It's like the BK director's edition of the show. I take out all the commercials and add in, uh, you know, I'll beef it up with more fun, cool stuff, classic commercials, bits from movies, sound effects, and just tweak it here and there. And it's, uh, if you think you heard the show on Saturday, you really haven't heard it. So listen to it 
out there. And the cool thing with Anchor is if you download the Anchor app, you can listen to shows from weeks and weeks ago and catch up on any of the older shows that you've missed at Anchor. So the BK Escape Pod podcast, check it out. Uh, I have one more news to go. From UPI, police in Chicago said two men stole a giant face mask that was placed on one of the iconic lion statues in front of the Art Institute of Chicago. They didn't have anything better to do. The Institute's two lions were both fitted with giant face masks, being the Chicago flag Thursday morning ahead of the statewide order that went into effect Friday requiring all people over the age of two to wear face masks while in stores and other locations where they can't maintain social distances properly. Police said a security guard at the Institute witnessed two men get out of a black Chevrolet sedan about 11 p.m. Thursday and cut the mask off one of the statues before fleeing with the item. Investigators said no arrests have been made. The museum says it plans to replace the mask as soon as possible. Now, no word from the thieves if they plan to steal the next ones that they replace. <laughs> so <laughs> they may funny. very do that. So uh, th- I guess the masks were there to try to remind everybody to wear a mask right now. Yeah, it's there to remind everybody to wear a mask, even though it's not that effective and it just makes other people feel good, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to make other people feel good. And I'm sure if you're if someone's sick and maybe has has it and don't know that they have COVID-19, I guess if they're wearing a mask and if they happen to cough, it might block something or help something. But but uh, I've heard pros and cons on masks. So, you know, whichever way you want to do it, go ahead. I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm easy like Sunday morning on that. Yeah, so. yeah if, if that's going to help, it's going to make you feel better, go for it. Um, <laughs> I haven't gotten any, and I'm not worried about finding any. Right. And um, I want to tell you this, too. Uh, speaking of uh, coming up later on the program, we're going to have the uh, Channel Star Wars report has returned, and they're going to talk about quite a bit today that's going on, uh, one of which I'm going to cover right now only because – I'm not stealing the thunder. They'll talk about it later on in the program, too, because it's just so awesome. Alan, have you seen the documentary called Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian yet? Not yet. That's one of the things I recommended two weeks ago, and I keep forgetting to go watch it. Wow. I give it five stars, two thumbs up. It's a documentary making of, which focuses basically on, on the uh, the making of The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, but it really focuses on all the directors that uh, Marvel Studios and Jon Favreau has, have chosen to, to helm that show, and... Um, what's cool about it is you get to, they get to talk to each director. It's a round table discussion. They all got their glass of water at a table and they're all talking at, uh, you have, uh, Taita Wakiti is there. You've, you've got, uh, and I can't, some of their names escape me. Um, uh, Bryce Dallas How- Howard, Ron Howard's daughter directed, uh, an episode. Uh, you got John Favreau at the table. So all the directors who directed an episode in season one are all sitting at the table Talking about how they how they did what the, what influenced them how they who brought them in to uh, direct the episodes and it's interesting because they all had a hand uh, mostly all of them had a kind of a hand in the story and and things that went on during their specific episode and it's so you got diverse directors coming in but it's still a show that has uh, a, a running storyline that doesn't vary. It doesn't, even though you bring in a different director, everything stays within the confines of the Mandalorian and Star Wars and, and canon and everything. But each unique vision that these directors come in and bring to the table is fascinating. And when you hear them talk about it, it's great because they, some of them can't believe, oh, uh, one of them's a big Star Wars fan and his name escapes me. But uh, you should check it out. Disney, it's called Disney Gallery. I think it's just a new show called Disney Gallery and they will be, Focusing on different things as they go along 
Uh, and it's fascinating, Alan, because of being a lover of film, lover of, of, of the art of directing uh, a production, you will find it fascinating hearing their insight on what they were doing and working on to do this. Now, I think it's awesome. I know, I, I, like I said, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago as a brand new offering, and it looks like it was going to be sort of a, a show to encapsulate any of the behind the scenes or special looks at or how things were done in the Disney world and environment. So uh, I'm, I still have it on my calendar to watch. It's just the weirdest thing. I've been so busy with other projects that I've been focused on. I haven't done as much TV watching even in the last two weeks. I've watched even less than, than this whole breakout outbreak has begun. And one of them brings up an interesting point while you watch the documentary about these are many. Someone said these are I'm paraphrasing. They're like, these are many movies. These are movie quality effects. These action sequences, they're on a broad range and, and we have a budget and they are they want to bring in talented folks with a vision on a lot of these uh, productions and especially the Mandalorian to make it look so. And would you agree these doesn't this show, you know, if they were to come out with a show and go, Hey, we're, we're doing a limited run of the Mandalorian in the theater, you know, and if you got time, you know, you should go check it out. I might go see it up on the big screen cause it's worthy of a big screen. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, I do get it because it's in smaller chunks. I don't know that it would work as one long movie, but it would be kind of fun to see it in a much bigger environment. If you don't already have a, a wide screen at home. By the way, they're adding two directors to season two, the season two roster. Robert Rodriguez and Peyton Reed have signed on to direct uh, some episodes uh, in the new season. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, established director uh, from Dust Till Dawn, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Uh, I think he directed The Faculty. He's very talented director. And Peyton Reed, who directed Ant-Man. So there's another little... You know, John Favreau, and you know, I can't believe you left Marvel. Spy Kids off of the Robert Rodriguez resume. <laughs> oh, did I leave Spy Kids off? I'm sorry. <laughs> All of you them. Know what's, <laughs> you, know, you know what's fun about Spy Kids is we did get to see Ricardo Montalban in Spy Kids. That was the best part. You know, I, having little kids that watched that movie when it was first released, I really appreciate that Robert Rodriguez wanted to do something family friendly that would really appeal to the kids. Um, it was, you know what, the first one, really, really liked it. And I didn't mind the second one so much. When they started getting into Lava Boy and, and that other one that they did as a, kind of a spinoff, I didn't like that as much. But the my kids loved it. And you know what, if you're sitting out for two hours with your kid and they're not doing something, breaking something, getting into something they're not supposed to, I'll sit and watch the movie too. Well, adding those two guys to the director roster uh, just shows that they're going to have continuing, well, they're, they're probably going to have continued success with the Mandalorian, because that that's two more uh, talented directors that are coming on board, wouldn't you say? Yes, sir. And then uh, I know we're, since you're on the Mandalorian kick, you know we're going to see uh, maybe one of our uh, prequel actors, a former Boba Fett uh, suit-wearing character, come in season two. Right, the actor that played Jango Fett and the... Uh, the, the character himself, Boba Fett, looks like he's going to make an appearance in season two of The Mandalorian. And I don't know. They haven't released the details yet. And, and I know they'll probably be funneling out over the next few months. And they'll maybe come, cover some of this in the Channel Star Wars report later. But I don't know if it's a – is it a flashback story? Or did do we find out that Boba Fett did actually crawl his way out of that Sarlacc pit? I hope that's the case because it's obvious that the time of The Mandalorian is pretty recently after the fall of the Empire at the end of the events of Return of the Jedi. We're losing some people already in the audience. <laughs> but Not uh, in this audience. We're not know, losing I, anybody in this one. Out of the, uh, <laughs> after the end of the third of what we call like the original trilogy – 
uh, when Luke defeats the uh, basically the Emperor and the second Death Star is, is yeah. exploded, uh, the the grip of the universe is gone, and that's the whole point of why the Mandalorian. You've got all these outposts and all these warlords and people in the Empire looking for jobs and looking for work. You got stormtroopers willing to work for the highest bidder. It's a perfect setting for the remake of the uh, the Man with No Name trilogy because that. That's really what we're watching, just in Mandalorian form. And little did we know that the Emperor himself had already planned for something to happen and has uh, hundreds of, of Star Destroyers lying in wait with followers out in deep space somewhere. Oh, I don't even want to talk the, about uh... that. <laughs> Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. Yeah, you've oh, lost come on. control oh, of the, the entire known galaxy. You've got this entire armada, but shh, I want to wait till later because right now things are a little dicey out there. That's right. I could bring him in just right now and just obliterate everybody and win and not have to worry about it, but I'm not going to do that. By the way, all nine Star Wars films from the three main trilogies are now streaming on Disney+. Plus. They actually had, uh, I think, I don't know if it's, was it May the 4th, maybe Sunday or Monday? I can't remember when uh, Rise of Skywalker went live and available for streaming on Disney+. Plus. So now all, not all the Star Wars films are available just yet. I think they're still waiting to get Solo from Netflix or wherever Solo happens to still be, but it will be coming to, to Disney+. Yeah. Plus. But all nine trilogy films are there now. No rush on Solo. That's fine. You can sit where Hey, I love Solo. <laughs> In fact, um, I watched The Rise of Skywalker. It was a night before last, I think. I'm like, oh, we haven't seen it since the theater. We'll stream it. I don't, I don't think I dislike it as much as some people do there, but, it, but it's definitely the weakest film out of the last three sequel films. Totally agree. They, totally agree. Um, and a far drop from what they were doing with uh, the the Last Jedi. It just it looked like you went from a film to oh we're doing made for TV kind of action sequences. Right, but uh, fantastic news about the Mandalorian. I'm looking forward to uh, Boba Fett's return. However, way he's returning, that's a show. The sign of a good show, at least with me, is. If you watch the show, and these Mandalorian episodes are like really short 30-minute little quips, maybe a little less than that or a little more depending on their running time, um, I find myself longing. When it's over, when the Mandalorian ends, an episode ends, I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait for the next one. I got to wait a week for the next one, and I think Disney's doing that on purpose to make me long for the next one, you know? There is something to be said about that. Now I'm going to go back and re-binge all of season one as we hopefully get closer to uh, season two coming out. I think it's still set for October because they had already wrapped filming before COVID. I just don't know how much post-production work they were able to do. I'm going to do it too. Rewatch The Mandalorian. It's fantastic. Make sure that you don't miss Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. It's a documentary. It's fantastic. Be wondering about the behind the scenes about The Mandalorian as well. Speaking on there, stay tuned. We've got more. Chat. 
chin. Ick, chick. Arm, charm. Ease, cheese. At, chat. In, chin. Ick, chick. Arm, charm. to receive our transmission. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That are alive, you are coming with me. The Force will be with you. Always. God is my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. Greetings to all in the 501st. It's time for Star Wars Daily Weekend Edition. Brought to you this week by Maul's Bounce House Emporium, Blind Allegiance to a Crazed Madman, and ChannelStarWars.com. Star Wars news for Star Wars fans by Star Wars fans. More cryptic than a circling convoy. I'm your host, Mike Mann. It's party time. P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta. This week brought us May the 4th and the mostly overlooked and not so relevant Revenge of the Sixth. And with that, the mouse didn't let down their Star Wars fans as they completed the sequel trilogy by releasing The Rise of Skywalker on Disney+. Plus. Some loved it, some hated it, per usual, and others felt, meh. Regardless of your views, The Rise of Skywalker is streaming for your viewing delight, or anger, or whatever. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Next, the first episode of the Mandalorian documentary, under the title of Gallery, was released with a look behind the scenes and inside the director's and actor's minds as they step into the Star Wars universe. While we will be waiting until the fall for season two of Din Djarin and crew, this is definitely a nice treat. In traditional fashion, a new episode will be released each Friday for the next seven weeks, eight episodes in total. I have spoken. And the Clone Wars. May the 4th brought us the more than epic conclusion of the Clone Wars animated series. After getting the chance to finish up the series after its initial cancellation during the Disney acquisition, Dave Filoni and crew absolutely took every chance they could to finish what they started. And that they did. We won't go into any detail about the final episode titled Victory and Death, as it is truly that epic, tear-jerking, and just fantastic. Just watch it. And lastly, Disney announced that Takia Watiti will be directing a yet-to-be-titled Star Wars movie. This is notable as this is the first major motion picture to be filmed since The Rise of Skywalker. And they couldn't have made a better choice. Star Wars fans already know Watiti from The Mandalorian as the voice of the assassin droid IG-11. Plus, he also directed the final episode of Season 1, Chapter 8, Redemption. 
That being said, whatever the mouse has in store for us, it's already off to a great start. I got a really good feeling about this. That's all the time we have this week, but before we go, it was just recently announced that Timura Morrison is casted to play the legendary Boba Fett in the upcoming season two of The Mandalorian. Just yes. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Tune in next week for the latest and greatest in Star Warsing. For ChannelStarWars.com, I'm Mike Mann reminding you... And now back to BK on the air. Always keeping us up to date on that galaxy far, far away. It's ChannelStarWars.com. Got some breaking news right now. Fox News and several other places are reporting. Little Richard, the singer best known for his hits, Tutti Frutti and Good Golly Miss Molly, has died, according to multiple reports. He was 87 years old. You know, Alan, what's rock and roll? You and I are big rock fans, and there was a lot of pioneers back in the day, and you should count. Is one of them. I always counted uh, Chuck Berry as one of the kings of rock and roll and uh, Bill Haley in the Comets. Those guys had some of the earliest rock. They defined rock and roll. There really wasn't much. There wasn't a thing called rock and roll before those guys. And they came in, <clears throat> Little Richard, Bill Haley, Carl Perkins, several of those guys came in and mixed blues with rock and guitar riffs and screaming lyrics and things. And there wouldn't be a lot of rock rock and roll artist today if it hadn't been for some of those pioneers and it's sad to hear that little richard's passed away you know i remember we all remember what it's like to uh play the records that our parents may have had my mom had a stack of 45s all the singles with a b-side on the back and so i grew up right. playing them on my record player and tutti frutti was one of those and there was something about it as a kid you know i, I gravitated toward maybe the more frenetic <clears throat> more energetic uh you know it definitely was an early rock song there's no way you call that r&b <laughs> it was rock no nope. Sure, it was there was piano, and sure, it was a different style of rock, but it definitely was the the precursor of what we now consider our modern rock movement. That's right, and there's another one that's that's passed away now. It looks like it's been confirmed. The reason of death hasn't been confirmed yet on Little Richard. We lost someone else this week too. Did you know you heard that Ro uh, Roy Thorne of the Vegas duo Siegfried and Roy died of complications to COVID nineteen? You heard about that, Alan? Yeah, at the age of seventy five. So again, as I said, even in my show. It's not that you don't take it serious, but if you want to look at the one age range and population that has to be really, really careful, it's 65 and up. Because if you've got underlying conditions and then you're that and you're older, it just seems to be having a much more serious impact to that to that body of people. Right. And I remember vividly in 2003 when his uh, three this, this tiger weighed 380 pounds, looked like the tiger attacked him on stage, grabbed him by the throat. Or area or near his uh, near his area right below his ear, and pulled him off stage, and uh, they were conf some people were confused. Even he was even he was stating after it was over and he made a recovery. He goes, I had had a stroke on stage or something to that effect, and the tiger he thought the tiger was just pulling him off stage or protecting him or something like that. And it was a little overprotective, I guess, and did that. I remember when that happened, and not too long after that, it's weird because a friend of mine had went out to Vegas to actually see their act not too long before that. And she brought me back uh, where I was working at the time. She brought me back a coffee cup, a Siegfried and Roy coffee cup with the two tigers on it, which were kind of cool. And it had it was one of those uh, monogram cups where you could buy the person's the person's name already on it, so my name was on it. And I still have that. That's one of the coffee cups in my in my coffee cup rotation that I use. So I've got a cool Siegfried and Roy coffee cup. So rest in peace, Roy Thorne. 
I've only saw video and footage on television of their act. I'd never been to Vegas and never saw their act. But what I've seen of what they did, you got to, you know, whether you like them or not, pro or con, if you think it's kind of schmaltzy or or, or bling, full of bling and, and kind of kitschy or whatnot, you cannot deny the guys were talented with what they did. They were talented guys. The guy that's oh, yeah, left, I, he still is. Say, but they un- had a talented act. It's unlike what we got with the the hot mess that is Tiger King about people who don't know what they're doing trying to say we love big cats. These guys truly love their animals. It was part of their act, but it was also part of their family. They treated their tigers like you and I treat our dogs. That's right. And if they treated them like we treat our dogs, we know that they treat them darn good. <laughs> Well, let's be down there. We're going to take a break now. And when we come back, I've got a story about a Sylvester Stallone movie that's maybe having a prequel, at least a, a sequel, at least according to Sylvester Stallone, a movie that he did a few years back, uh, which had Wesley Snipes in it as the bad guy. There's your clue. Looks like they're working on a sequel to that. And Ryan Reynolds is starring in a movie based on a video game that i sure Alan and I remember very well. We'll cover that, too, when we come back. It's BK on there. Stay tuned for more fun and nostalgic geekiness. In a Ford Model T, you can depend on just about everything, except the weather. In a Ford Pinto, you can make your own weather. Pinto's price is so low, you can afford a sunroof, air conditioning, a rear window defroster to make the weather inside your Pinto as dependable as your Pinto. The economical little Pinto. Base sticker price $24.42, excluding dealer prep, destination charges, title, and taxes. At your local Ford dealer. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Homework, homework. Give me a break. Try Summit Candy Bars. A delicious break anytime. Crunchy roasted peanuts. Lots of rich chocolate. And a crispy center. Summit. A delicious break anytime. Hey, what are the game, guys? Give me a break. Summit Candy Bars, a crisp, delicious break anytime. BK on the air on AM 1450, FM 100.3, and online on the TuneIn radio app. Now, back to a guy who'll make you feel really young, mostly because he's so old. It's BK on the air. Hey, we're back. It's BK on the air here, AM 1450 and 100.3 FM WBHF. Today is May the 9th. Today in history, let's look at May the 9th. I got the, the first one I have and the last one I have dates. Allen is going to love these. The first one is, in 1785, on this date in history, May the 9th, British inventor Joseph Brahma patents the beer pump handle. Hoorah! See, I knew you'd love that one. Did that just for you. Now, the last one you're going to love, too, by the way. Uh, 1958, today in history, May the 9th. I'm trying to be distracted here in the in the house, and I can't tell you why. Uh, I'll tell you off the air. 1958... <laughs> 1958, that's the, that's the risk you run when you broadcast from home during a pandemic. 1958, Vertigo, 
American film noir and psychological thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak, is released on this day back in 1958. May 9th, 1962. I didn't even know about this. May 9th, 1962, a laser beam was successfully bounced off the moon for the first time on this date. I didn't even know we did that back yeah, in 62. I, I remember that about uh, trying to use that to measure how far the moon was from the Earth. And imagine being able to time the difference between the laser leaving and going to the moon and back and knowing how far away it was. Wow, and the laser bounced back to Earth after they hit the moon with it, and he went, Oh, that height! <laughs> oh, a wise guy. 1964, May the 9th. Peter and Gordon released the song World Without Love. And Alan Sanders will give us a little snippet of that right now. Remember how World Without Love went? Alan, I hate that song. I don't want to live in a world without love. I don't care. <laughs> and in the lyrics, I don't care what they say. Who's saying right. it? Who's going around going, there's no love in this world. Just deal with it. Who the heck are you? Dumb song. Well, been hating it since 1964 because that's when it came out. May the 9th, 1971 was the 23rd annual Emmy Awards. All in the Family, Jack Klugman and Gene Stapleton win Emmy Awards on the 23rd annual hey, back in night uh, Emmy Awards. Back I know in you're in the midst of this day in history, but we've got somebody who's been trying to ring through, but they just uh, the timing of the commercials and everything. We're back, and so we've got All someone right. joining on the program. Welcome to BK on the Air. Who's this? It's your friend Eric Collin. Um, great to be with y'all this morning. Hey, Eric. I mean, I'm, I really, you know, like with the with the death of like. Roy Horn and um, and Little Richard. I know that's certainly going to mark the end of an era for sure. Definitely with Little Richard, yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, and and, because... and uh, the the Sigrid Fried and Roy uh, Roy Horn because there there were two people that were just welded into our pop culture lexicon. Yeah, and then Little Richard, I think, was a part of rock music when it was at its very best. Yes, how cool would it have been to have been back there and been a part of that whole? formation of rock and roll because I, I can't all of us can't remember a time before rock and roll existed it's just always been around but there believe it or not there was a time back pre-50s when when the word the coin phrased rock and roll didn't even exist there was no such thing as rock and roll oh yeah that, that is true um and then i know y'all were talking about star wars earlier um I mean, I would be interested in maybe seeing, like, Star Wars do, like, origin stories about, like, certain characters, like, seeing what their backstories are, like, characters like Jabba the Hutt and um, Master Yoda and and how Emperor Palpatine, you know, you know, got became so twisted before the events of, like, The Phantom Menace. Right, that's a great idea. Who knows what's on the horizon? I'm sure that Disney and uh, Lucasfilm have a lot in, in place to go, but you've got a, a Obi-Wan Kenobi series uh, coming out, I think it's next oh, yeah. year. I think it might have been pushed back due to the COVID-19 lockdown, but you've got uh, you've got Kenobi coming out with uh, Ewan McGregor uh, returning as yep. Obi-Wan on, uh, on Disney+. Plus. Who's in it? Ewan, 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 Ewan there I said you it go. right that time. I said it right. <laughs> so they probably got, I mean, I've, I've heard rumors at one point there was going to be a Yoda film, but the problem with that is I think that they've put the brakes on Star Wars stuff a little bit right now because of the poor performance of some some things that are Star Wars. I think Solo's poor performance right. might have... Uh, might have put the brakes on a lot of that, and and you've got that you've got Tahita Wakiti is coming has just been announced too. Talk about him as a director, director of Thor, yeah. uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok for Marvel. He's now been officially announced as the director of a new standalone Star Wars film on, on the horizon. So there is some Star Wars movement in that area. Uh, yeah, and I know that right now Disney Plus is focusing on like The Mandalorian and a couple other series that they have gotten like production even though they've been halted right now and probably seeing how that 
turns out for them. Yeah, Alan, I can remember a time back when there was just there was just Star Wars. I mean, until the Empire Strikes Back came out, there, for a long time there was there was only one. <laughs> that was all we had. Right. That just means we're old. Sorry, <laughs> I said get that in. Wait a minute. Speak for but yourself, son. Bring, Speak for yourself. Well, that certainly brings back a lot of memories for folks. Well, it does. And Star Wars has been around for years. And uh, I'm going to little Richard. Uh, it kind of it, it really hit me when Chuck Berry passed away. Now, little Richard and some of these icons that that I've always loved. And yeah, you're right. My dad, Alan, said it earlier. My dad and mom had 45 singles, and and that's usually your first music introduction is by your parents. Some people rebel against it, but I totally ate it up. All the music that my parents listened to growing up, I absolutely loved. The the the, the few that we just said, Fats Domino, uh, Elvis Presley, a lot of that great rock and roll. And then my dad was really into the 70s Very music, like Steve it. Miller Band and stuff. So yeah, I love it. Well, it's great hanging out with y'all this morning. All right, buddy. Well, we appreciate, for we appreciate you hanging with us. All right. Good day. Bye-bye. There we go. Eric checking in with us. Appreciate that here. Um, we've got about, well, about five. Oh, my gosh, BK, how fast the time is flying? Only about five minutes till the bottom of the hour. I'll finish up as much as this day in history as I can, and we'll we'll get back to it. Uh, 1980, May the 9th, slasher horror film, Friday the 13th, is released in U.S. cinemas. Night, Friday the 13th now has its, uh, its 40-year anniversary is old, and it, it, it that's another film that kind of set the standard of slasher type films when they came out and i remember it well there's a time when friday the 13th scared me now you know later on when i got older i watched it and people would understand you're like why do you laugh at this i'm like because it's funny now i mean i know it's over the top killing but it's but it's it's over the top makeup effects and i know it's fake and it just it just i, I chuckle at it now a little bit so 1992 the final episode of the golden girls airs on nbc television on may the 9th and here's one more for alan big fan yeah. of the of the rock group rush in 1996, Geddy Lee is made an officer of the Order of Canada on this date in 1996. Excellent. Well, we'll I'll take that all day long. Uh, one of my, probably my second favorite all-time band. Yeah, we know who your first is. It's uh, the Carpenters. No. no. <laughs> oh, it's not. Did they fall out? Oh, it's Pink, then it's Pink Floyd then. I knew it was either the Carpenters or Pink def- Floyd. Do you have to weigh the two? Yeah, I I, I'm going to edge out Pink Floyd on that one by a nose. Let's go. I'll go through the birthdays right quick because I know we're running out of time here at the bottom of the hour. A birthday today, rest in peace, actor Albert Finney. Fantastic actor. God, too many movies to, to mention, but if you're a fan of his, you know what movies he's been in that you loved him in. Kevin Peter Hall, rest in peace as well. Yeah, we lost him a few years ago. He's the actor that portrayed the giant bear creature in Prophecy. He played Bigfoot in Harry and the Hendersons. He played Predator in both Predator and Predator 2 and many more films. Needless to say, he was a tall guy. He was seven foot, two inches tall, and that and that's a big guy. So that's the that's some of his uh, major compliments. Glenda Jackson, English actress, has a birthday today. Candace Bergen, actress, and Rosario Dawson, actress in Daredevil and some of uh, some of the. Uh, Death Proof films. And I think Rosario Dawson is coming to The Mandalorian in season two as well, playing a character coming up. So another tie into The Mandalorian there with an she actress. Played, right. Oh, I was say she played a pretty interesting character that cut across a lot of what they eventually the Netflix series, The Defenders. Um, and a, yeah. a really good actress. She's a great actress. I loved I loved the nurse that she played in Daredevil in the Marvel uh, show and then crossed over to The Defenders. She's it was a fantastic character that helped him when he got hurt, Matt Murdock doing his superhero stuff and he would get injured and he could go to her and confide in her and get medical attention from her. She's a, she was a, a great actress and I've liked her everything I've seen her in. Uh, today is National Butterscotch Brownie Day. Okay. Got that? Yeah, <laughs> In case you, I hear you want I'm, one. I'm letting that go right on by. It's also National Sleepover Day. We'll have to let that go all right by now because we really can't do that right now. But as soon as it's over, I'll, I'll be over to 
to do a sleepover with you as soon as possible. We'll, we'll watch some movies and stuff since you hide me over there. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to invite my wife hello. to sleep over. <laughs> yeah, hello. It's National Train Day. Have we had one yet come by the studio? I don't think so you know during if the show. It's come through. It's not when the mics have been on. <laughs> good. Well, that's good. And uh, it's National Miniature Golf Day today as well. Buddy, did I play a lot of putt-putt growing up? Uh, I, I did a little bit as I got older, but I was always considered a putts-putts. Does that count? <laughs> it's not putt-putts day, but uh, maybe we can start that day if you want to help me start a national putt No, it's putts, amazing because whenever we would go on family vacations, I was always attracted to, and of course they're designed that way because the kids want mom and dad to take them, but my dad would never stop to take us miniature golfing, so I didn't do it until oh, no. my kids came along. I was always fascinated by all the little miniature things that were at the golf course. Uh, like you, You're like, oh, wow, I have to, I have to hit this golf ball down this little green fairway here, make it curve and go into this hole before the windmill fan blade blocks it. I got to time it right. But I was much more interested in the mechanics of what's making that windmill turn. I wonder what's, is there, are there little people in there that are, that are cranking it up? <laughs> yes, and stuff? Yeah, I was just a kid, you know, I, I know now that it wasn't little kids when I'm, a, when I'm a little, little people in there. I know now, I know better now that it's they not They were all bad. laid off little by Willy Wonka. And there's a lot of other national days today. I can't get to them all due to time constraints. But if you want to go to nationaldaycalendar.com, you can see the complete list of the national day it happens to be today. It's BK on there. We're going to take a break now. And we'll come back with some more stories, including Ryan Reynolds starring in a video game movie that we're very familiar with. And a few more stories and a TV show that I can recommend that you watch while we're on COVID-19 lockdown. It's your shelter escape. BK on there. Control situation normal. What happened? Uh, had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Uh, boring conversation anyway. And now, back to a guy who has no idea what a call of encroachment means, but he knows what roughing the listener is all about. It's BK on the air. Hey, I'm back. It's BK on the air here on AM 1450 and 100.3 FM 
EHF. You can listen online using the TuneIn Radio app. Download the free one if you want to, if you're ever out of range. But you can also listen at WBHFradio.org if you can't hear me on the radio. You know, Netflix is on fire, by the way. They are doing such a great job. I know uh, quantity and quality may be two different things, but they're making – Netflix is in the works of making a movie based on an art and legendary arcade game. I have a story here from slash film and I'm sure Alan played this game growing up just like I did in the early eighties. If you didn't grow up playing video games in the arcades, you may only be familiar with this game from its appearance in the second season of stranger things. But the medieval themed fantasy adventure was once the most popular video game in the country. And now Ryan Reynolds who plays Deadpool. We all know Ryan Reynolds is set to star in a live action film adaptation of Dragon's Lair. No That's way. Right. No, yep. they're not doing Dragon's Lair. They are. They're doing Dragon's Lair. According to the Hollywood Reporter, Reynolds will star and produce the Dragon's Lair movie with Roy Lee of Vertigo Entertainment and Trevor Ingelson of Underground Entertainment also producing. Dan and Kevin Hagman, who have writing credits on Hotel Transylvania, the Lego movie, and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, will write the script. Dragon's Lair was released, we remember, in 1983 and became quickly became a mega hit. The game was largely comprised of sequences animated by famed ex-Disney animator Don Bluth, who you know from his directorial efforts like American Tale, The Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, Titan AE, many more films that he did, Anastasia. The 83-year-old Bluth will serve as a producer on the film adaptation of Dragon's Lair. Remember remember, remember, Dirk Daring was the hero in Dragon's Lair, and you had to control him to keep him from getting killed in this in, in this uh, castle where he's trying to rescue the princess from the dragon. And uh, by, by little flashing lights, you could go up, down, left, right, or backwards in this uh, thing. And it was a laser disc game run off a laser disc and they were kind of cutting edge at the time we thought they were amazing that you could actually control an animated character playing a playing a video game and he had a lot of dialogue in in dragon's lair uh dialogue such as woo ah, <laughs> That's about all Dirk did. <laughs> That's true. It didn't was, talk it, a lot. It was either the narrator or it was the princess saying, ooh, ah. Save me. You know, yeah. it took until it came out on a uh, the DVD platform for home computer games. I bought it for home computer, and I spent probably four or five just sessions, one, you know, for a couple hours at a time, memorizing the patterns. Because you remember what the game would sometimes do, just to make it so that way it wasn't exactly the same, it would do right. mirror opposites of the same scene. So sometimes exactly. you'd remember it'd be like left, right, left, left, right, then it'd have to be right, left, right, right, left. <laughs> right, depending where he was entering the scene at the beginning of uh, his little vignette that would come out, and you're like, okay, what am I, so how am I supposed to move in this thing? And uh, believe it or not, they did come out with a sequel game that wasn't, wasn't as popular, a Laserdisc game for arcades, uh, a second Dragon's Lair movie. It was a cartoon on Saturdays on ABC uh, for a little while, and the actual next game that came along from Don Bluth, I think, was my favorite. It was like Dragon's Lair, but it was set in outer space, and it was called Space Ace. Space Ace. Got to protect Kimmy. Kimmy. That's right. It was so, it was so fun. And I, I, if I could have, I'd love to have all the quarters back that I spent on uh, on video games in general. I think I could buy 
me a house and you a house, Alan, as well. If I, if I had and a real good house too, by the way, if I had all that money back, but I would just take the money back that I spent on these animated games. Cause I spent a lot because that's what they were designed for. If they were a new game and you started playing it, unless you were watching someone playing before you, you didn't know what to do. And every now and then the games would give you a little light flash. Like if a rope came down, the rope would flash and you're like, Oh, turn, uh, turn the joystick to the right to grab the rope. It would give you a hint as to what to do, but you had to do it quickly. It, it, it wasn't, you didn't have a lot of time to, to sit there and decide, but yes, they had a, they had one called cliffhanger too, where you were, you were uh, controlling a helicopter. It was, uh, I think it was fashion took footage from a, from an anime movie from Japan. And it was a, it was another laser disc game called cliffhanger, but that's the, really the only, there were a lot more out, but that's really the only ones that I saw in the arcades that I had access to growing up in the early eighties. But yeah, a lot of fun space ace dragon's lair. And now apparently a movie, is going to be coming out based on that character in Dragon's Lair from Netflix. You know, it, yeah, brings, back, it brings back a memory of one of the uh, first initial Saturdays where I had to fill in for your uh, former co-host, uh, Commander Clark, and we used to do a segment, or you guys did, call Commander Clark's Classic Corner. And one of the ones I ended up filling in, we did one on Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah, that's I remember that. And bringing back memories like that, something else that I've done lately while in COVID-19 lockdown is I've gone back and I'm like, there's a lot of programs you can find if you look out there on, on the emulators for your for your computer and your laptop that you, or you can just log on or, or, or go to the website. And they have the games available for you to play of the old classic Atari games are out there now just kind of like for free play if you can find them. And you could even get them uh, in video game format, too, on a, on a disc or for your game systems or your computer. And I've been playing a lot of older games lately, just, you know, running out of things to do. I'm like, okay, I've done this. I've done that. I've ran out of things to do. The house has been cleaned 22,000 times. The, the, everything looks great. Now let's go back and look at some of the old Atari games. So I, I broke out, you know, asteroids and asteroids deluxe. I went to uh, look at all the uh, incarnations of Pac-Man and Pac-Man spinoffs and sequels and Donkey Kong and, and, and Mario brothers and all those old games. And I even, I even, tried my hand a little while at the old space invaders and you have to get in a different mindset to play those games because in a way they're challenging maybe they may not be as flashy and have as great of graphics as as medal of honor and some of our newer awesome games that are out there now but that doesn't make them that much easier you still those games still will speed up as you play them and get harder as you go along and you got to watch what you're doing and, and they're pretty challenging some of those older games Oh, yeah. At some point, they were designed to just be – you couldn't go any further. It was impossible. You know, they were just going to get faster and faster. The the stuff was going to get lower. Uh, and the, that was the whole thing, trying to see, can I incrementally then beat my best score? And I remember we would do that, uh, try to re, try to beat the high score or, like, write them down because any time with the Atari, it would if you at home, it would obviously erase. So I remember we had a Polaroid camera the very first time we ever flipped asteroids. My brother and I, we just kept playing and playing and playing. And we flipped the counter. I, I think it only climbed up to either 10,000 or yeah, I think it was, it was a, I can't remember what the score was, but we flipped it. Maybe it was at a million points. We got to 999,999 and boom, and went back to zero. And we took a picture. And then I realized, well, how does anybody know that I didn't just start the game? Right. You got that picture as, as evidence. Now, you know, some games did end. You did finish games. Some games you get to the end and there'd be some kind of cool ending little animated scene. And you finish the game and you, you've rescued the princess or you've killed the, the, the monster and it's over. And uh, here's the credits and here's who designed the game. and The game is over. Now you got to start all over again. Some games did did end and have an ending and did congratulate you if you did finish the game. But did you know what's weird is one game out there was always built and you never won it and you died 
every time you played it. You never did finish this game, this one in particular, and that was Tetris. Yeah, no, that just goes on and on. Yes. And on. <laughs> I don't know at this point where someone someone has played Tetris so long that it kind of uh, I don't know it broke the program or there was a there was a fault thing at the end where it just clicks off where it just can't take it anymore. But I think I've never heard of that happening. But Tetris is a game that you know when you're playing, you're destined to 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 lose. Eventually, you're going to lose. You know, I've got some buds who like to get into the VR headgear and stuff and a lot of the computer games, whether you use a console or your computer to play in the 3D virtual realm. And apparently that's making a comeback, Tetris in the virtual world, where you can actually then battle each other. Like you can get into a room and you can battle. And as you clear blocks, those blocks get thrown into your opponent's way. And so the idea is it's not just clearing rows, it's about clearing them faster than the other guy so you can cause them to lose. You know, eventually with Tetris, that sounds interesting. With Tetris, I had to, after so much play for a while, I had to eventually mute the sound because, you know, it's a catchy little Russian ditty, but it really got on my nerves. So I used to just kind of, at one point, I had reached a point where I had to silence it and just play it in silence. Silence! I kill you! I can't do it. I'm dreaming. I'm hearing this Tetris theme in my sleep at night. It's like having tinnitus of the ear, <laughs> only it's Tetris tinnitus. It's BK on the air. A lot of good video games growing up. We loved it. I got another, a lot more stories when we come back after the breaks. Buddy. What was that? Buddy. Parquet margarine. Buddy. No, parquet. It says right on your lid, parquet margarine. Buddy. <laughs> Parquet. <laughs> Smooth, delicious. <laughs> butter. Parquet. Oh, yes. Parquet margarine from Kraft. The flavor says butter. Introducing the amazing record vacuum by Ronco, the new stereo accessory that protects all your records. Simply insert your record into the record vacuum, turn it on, and your record rotates automatically, sweeping and vacuuming your records instantly. Loosening deep damaging microdust particles, 33 and a thirds, 45, 78s, any size fit. Available at Walgreen, Woolworth Wilco, Montgomery Ward, Osco, Turnstile, Venture, Goldblatt's. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? I don't know. We're going to need a lot of dimes. <laughs> a big load of dimes. You get my meaning. Uh, a lot of them. Yes. Big load of dimes. A so stiff big of a load, load, I can't even tell you on the air. <laughs> That's where they, like, replace it in the movies. We need a stiff load of dimes. That's right. <laughs> Hey, if you're shut down from the COVID-19 uh, thing that's going on, I'll tell you something else you can do. You can do a lot worse than going and logging on and checking out a podcast called The Wilder Ride. My buddy Alan right there on the other end of the microphone at Mission Control, He's him and our buddy Walt in the darkness uh, are, are run The Wilder Ride, a podcast talk, examining movies of Gene Wilder one minute at a time. They've done Young Frankenstein. They've done uh, uh, Blazing uh, what, what have we done? Blazing Saddles? We Young did Blazing Saddles. Uh, we've had a bit of an interruption with season three.
three, uh, we had obviously a personal thing. It's now out there. Walt's mom passed away, but she was really sick the first quarter of the year. And then just as we thought we could get right back into the get into the action, here comes COVID-19. But what That's we right. have been doing is we put out a, uh, an episode where we you know movies to watch during uh, a lockdown. We've got an episode coming out here either today or tomorrow that'll be uh, kind of an ongoing what have we been watching during lockdown, and we'll have another episode sort of detailing a sort of spinoff that we can kind of do while we're trying to get our footing underneath us once again. So if you find yourself for something to do, <clears throat> you should not be at a loss of doing anything during this. There's so much to do. You could log on, check out The Wilder Ride at all your favorite podcast places. Just do a search out there. It's all over the place. You can hear it and listen to it. If you never listened to it before, that gives you something that you can do. And you might, I- I'm not saying where, but you might hear me on there a couple of them. There's a handful. <laughs> if you go to our website, you can actually search the <clears throat> guests and go right to those episodes if you want. And we had a good time. Uh, I know that you guys are planning to to cover Silver Street from 1976 with Gene uh, and uh, Richard Pryor. And uh, I'm looking forward to being on that one. So something else that you can do while you're sheltering in place is check out the Wilder Ride podcast. And I want to add to it. There's something I want to I want to recommend a television show that you can watch uh, while you're on lockdown. We've been doing this. We've been sneaking in some movies and TV shows suggestions from us because we're lovers of TV and movie and uh, I watched television growing up too much as a kid. I was a latchkey kid after school, and I watched a lot. This one wasn't part of them. This one just came out a few years ago. But uh, AMC's Mad Men. I want to. I want to give a nod to that. It's set in 1960s New York, and it's the sexy, stylized, and provocative drama. It follows the lives of the ruthless, competitive men and women of Madison Avenue advertising, an ego-driven world where key players make an art of the sell. Now, AMC's award-winning drama Mad Men made history as the first basic cable series to ever win the Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series in four consecutive years. The series revolves around the conflicted world of Don Draper, played by John Hamm, the biggest ad man and ladies' man in the business, and his colleagues at the Sterling Cooper Draper Price Advertising Agency. As Don makes the plays in his boardroom and the bedroom, he struggles to stay a step ahead of the rapidly changing times and the young executives nipping at his heels. The series also depicts authentically the roles of men and women in this era while exploring the true human nature beneath the guise of the 1960s traditional family values. That's one of the strongest points of the show, other than its wonderful writing and characters that are in this show, which make up a great show. It's the awesome and spot-on, beautiful look of this show, the costumes, the sets, even down to the to the stationery and, and, and the objects that are in the background in the show. This show is set in the early 60s, takes you all the way up to, uh, I think, 1970 in the, in the span of the show. It takes you through that time era, and it perfectly depicts the world of the 60s up into the 70s and how things are changing and how it's a little different time. Now, let me tell you, if it's, Alan will agree with me, and if you're easily offended at the way uh, men and women bantered back and forth back then, then, then you're not going to like this show. But if you, when, when you watch something like this, you have to put that aside if you have a problem with that. It's, it was set in a certain era, and sure, you can get mad about how the way people were treated back in the day, but that's a, it's, a, it's a correct representation of how it was back then. And Mad Men was one of the best shows to present that world of the past. So that's my one of my recommendations uh, of television shows that you can watch right now while you're stuck inside is Mad Men. That's Alan? cool. You know, I, I tried to get into it. I may, I may go back and revisit it. I just, it didn't hook me after about five or six episodes. I felt I was forcing myself to watch it. I don't know if I was distracted. I don't know if it just didn't hook me right away. 
But uh, I know it was well received by many, many, many people, and I acknowledge the the quality of the writing. And um, you, you know, sometimes storylines aren't everyone's cup of tea. That doesn't make it a lesser production. In fact, I would agree with you. It was a fantastic representation of that time in history. Yeah, the costumes, the hairstyles, and and the show would change. It was it was so it was so well done as the show as the time changed as the show went along. Are you suggesting the as changed, the world right? turned? Yeah, it's like as the world turned, the cost, the, the the clothing and the styles changed. The the the, the big collars came in toward the seventies and and whatnot. And what's weird is our main character Don Draper, portrayed by John Hamm, he stayed completely stylish, stylistic, and steady through the whole show as far as as far as style goes. He never changed. He always had the perfect close cut suit on with the tie and the cufflinks and everything. He didn't he didn't change over into the 70s looking giant collar jackets or whatever. He still kept his appearance perfectly cut through the entire show. And wow, haven't styles changed? You, you and I have seen a lot of them come and go. <laughs> yes, we have. You Even know, there the is 70s. something uh, for all of the maybe the misogynistic time of that. And some people were somewhere. We don't want to paint with a wide brush. I do miss the sort of dress for success of that time. Oh, yeah. As we well know, there was a time in this country, uh, we can say with, with complete certainty, that if you some folks, if you left the house to go to the store, a department store, or, or go to visit people, people put on a tie just to go out, out of the house. There's a point where they just dressed up to go out and go, go somewhere, period. You exactly. go to the movies, you got to put on a suit. That's yeah, it, it was always about having a shirt and tie. At the very least, a shirt and tie. Um, you know, you, you just, you didn't go out unless you were dressed like you were a professional. I came in on the end of it as a kid, but there was a time in the 70s, late seventies, mid seventies still when, um, mom and dad would pull up to a gas station. The, the gas attendant would wash your windshield, take care of your entire car, check your, your tire pressure. And this was not for an extra charge, by the way, this was all included. And this, this person that did that usually had a button up shirt with a bow tie or some kind of tie on, even doing that job at the time. Yeah, as well. I remember when those full-service stations started to dwindle off, you could tell it was starting to die away when the dress code was becoming more and more lax, and it turned out to be the guy with the greasy shirt and the rag saying, what you want? <laughs> That's right. Uh, what do you want? Like, fill I'm here to spend up. money. Don't... <laughs> I hate it when I go spend money someone and I want to give them my money, and they act like that I'm bothering them. It's an inconvenience <laughs> of you to bother me right I... now. <laughs> Man, I hate that. 770-386-1450 is our number if you want to call and chime in on anything that we've been talking about today. We're taking up to the top of the hour. i got time maybe for one more quick story here. A strange dinosaur with a star-like skull has been named after David Bowie. Alan, I don't know if you heard, if you heard about this from Fox News. A bizarre-looking dinosaur that roamed the Earth 75 million years ago was named after glam rock star, the late David Bowie. The creature known as a Stellosaurus, which means star lizard, was a large as a bus and more than 20 feet long, according to a report in the SWNS. Quote, it's an homage to the late David Bowie's hit Starman, paleontologist Jack Wilson told the news agency. The skull ornamentation is astonishing, almost star-like when you look at it, unquote. The massive beast's amazing skull was found near the town of Cutbank, Montana, not far from the U.S.-Canadian border. Now, is that, isn't Montana where the Badlands are, where we are at the beginning of Jurassic Park, I think? Is that where the Badlands are? <laughs> I can't remember, but I, I'm sure I we'll go with that. Somewhere out there. Uh, but yeah, isn't that cool that pop culture influences the name of stuff? The, 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 that's happened many other times. There's a snake out now named after named after Salazar Slytherin from Harry Potter. Did you hear about that too? I did not. 
Researchers have discovered a new species of venomous snake, and the sorting hat declared it as a Slytherin. The report, Zoosomatics and Evolution, a team of scientists from the National Center of Biological Science in Bangalore, India, named the bright green discovery after Salazar Slytherin. Its, uh, its full name is Trimasurus Salazar. So a new pit viper named after a character from Harry Potter, aptly from Slytherin. How about that? That's crazy. I, I talk about how, you know, when people say, well, what's the point of reading books, going to movies? It's You, don't, you know, culture is about a lot besides just your book learning and, and your math and science. You got to have you got to have entertainment. And that's cool how you can see how a character or at least a world that has entertained millions, if not billions of people uh, is recognized by the scientific community when they do these new discoveries. The earliest time I can think that happened, uh, influencing that, is 1976. Did you know that the space shuttle, the glider that they had, the original glider that they were testing, just that glided in the atmosphere only uh, for the precursor for the space program, was called the Const- – they were going to call it the Constitution until a lot of Star Trek fans got together. This is 1976 with NASA got together and wrote a lot of letters to NASA saying, hey, name that shuttle glider Enterprise. Enterprise. And lo and behold, they did. Yes, they did. I and I, and you don't really think about it as a as a young kid. I mean, you may have because you were much more into Star Trek at a young age. But then you look and go, "Oh my gosh, we actually had a Starship Enterprise." Right. It never went into space because it was a glider. It was the it was the glider. But it Enterprise. still was the mock yeah. for what we were going to have, but, and yeah. it might as well be called oh, yeah. our first Starship. And when they when they dedicated that thing on the official uh, date of rolling it out in in seventy six, most of the Star Trek cast sh- were invited and showed up at that dedication ceremony and were all there. And it was they played the fanfare of Star Trek. The band played the Star Trek theme. Pop culture, whether you want to admit it or not, influences a lot of our lives. And there's three: the the, the David Bowie influence, the Slytherin snake. And the Enterprise from 1976, there's three prime examples. Awesome. Can you bet? Look how happy Mother's Day as this time flies right in front of us. That's right. I'll be going to visit mine tomorrow, practicing social distancing. I'll see mom tomorrow. And yes, happy Mother's Day to everywhere. BK on the air. We'll catch you next week.